On October 13th, 1983, so 39 years ago, a cell service goes live in America with the first call made by Ameritech Mobile Communications Executives, Bob Barnett, which I don't think it gets more American than that, <laughs> uh, makes a phone call from the parking lot of Soldier Field, just a few blocks from me here. There you go. Man, could you imagine a world without cellular connection? What did we do before that? It, it's hard to think like this is such this like shows, you know, the fact that, you know, how technology was when we grew up. But I actually I've been watching The Sopranos uh, in the, the early seasons um, are late 90s and they have like pagers in it, like the early. <laughs> it is like, how were they doing anything where they had to like go a place to communicate with someone? Had you imagine? Could you imagine having to rely on be like, yo, meet me at this spot at. 7.30. Yeah. Like how did, that was what it was. Like a week out. Yeah, let's do something next Friday and I'll meet you there at 7. <laughs> oh, man. What a world. I, people must have flaked all the time. Like, plans just didn't happen. <laughs> uh, let's go over the sponsor. Or, yeah, the sponsor for this Friday update. Who we got? Yes, we got one sponsor uh, this week, KY Innovation. They're our partner for the entire season. So thank you to KY Innovation. And they're a great partner because they have all kinds of services, programs, data, connections, whatever you need as an innovator in the state of Kentucky, whether you're a founder, an investor, or in, you know, at a larger company and trying to innovate, they are here to help you push forward your projects, your ideas, your dreams. Uh, that sounds very <laughs> philosophic. Uh, they, they have some great resources though. Check out KY Innovation. They have offices all over the state. Rock and roll. We got some good stories this week. I'm excited to to go through some of these. You want to give us a recap of the the stories we're going to be talking about, and then let's dive into this first one. Yeah, so we're going to talk about TikTok. Um, so two big updates from them this week in new business lines that they're pushing into. Uh, Netflix. You've probably seen the story uh, yesterday that they released their information about their ad platform. A big merger in the grocery space uh, in the works, potentially being announced today. And then more advancements in AI-based um, creative modeling, both images and video. That stuff is moving really quickly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into to TikTok. I feel like we've been talking about TikTok more and more here recently, but they uh, I put in the notes here, they're just executing at a pretty alarming rate. I'm going to continue to be a, a critic of TikTok, but I'm going to give credit where credit's due. So uh, to kick off this story, somehow... Uh, social media is not enough for TikTok. So they want to get into not only e-commerce, but music streaming as well. Uh, so let's start by talking about their foray into e-commerce and, and fulfillment. Um, Nate, why don't you give us just a high-level overview here and then let's dive into talking about uh, their, the second order of consequences from this. Yeah, so a couple savvy reporters found some job postings on the TikTok website this past week um, related to fulfillment. Um, talking about how they want to provide warehousing, delivery, customer service, returns, um, and layer in different features for e-commerce uh, to go through the TikTok platform. Um, it's interesting that they're trying to build this fulfillment system themselves um, rather than, than partner with somebody else. But it, it goes into you know this larger trend of social commerce and being able to integrate your merch and your fulfillment directly with the content that you put out. And TikTok wants to be able to support that for their creators. Yeah. So in one of the job postings, this is straight from TikTok. So this is what they're saying. They're saying by providing warehousing delivery and customer service returns, 
Our mission is a satisfying shopping experience that ensures fast and sustainable growth at TikTok shop. Um, I think this is crazy. Like they're executing so well on capturing so much of the market and social media. Mm-hmm. They're capturing so much of the the younger market. I mean, we saw, uh, we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago that now more more of the younger generation is using TikTok than they do Google when they go to, to do searches on the internet. So they see that they're capitalizing yeah. on this trend and they know that they could probably make a pretty big splash in e-com as well. Um, like I said, I'm a TikTok critic. I can't deny their execution. So that's why this worries me a little bit, you know, knowing that at the rate that they're executing, it just feels like they're going to be able to make some sort of splash in this market. I mean, going up against Amazon, uh, I feel like all of us here in America tend to think like, no way, like you can't displace Amazon, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say never with, with TikTok just because of the meteoric rise of the platform over the past few years. Um, what do you think? What do you, do you think they're going to be able to displace Amazon in any meaningful way? I don't, I mean, maybe, I don't think, I think they're two totally different use cases. Um, social commerce is huge in Asia. Um, and there's actually, there's a trend where creators who do TikToks, who do YouTube videos, you know, traditional creators, like we think about them in America, they also do these like marathon live streams where they're selling products. Some of them Mm. they own, some of them are brand deals that they're, you know, they're pushing. And it's just this, it's this weird thing that we don't have in, in Western culture, um, of just like, it's almost like QVC online with influencers. Um, and so, you know, this TikTok shop might have some features of that, but in general, just this idea of like influencers natively integrating things that they can sell totally makes sense. And so the use case there is like, you tend to, to buy from people that, you know, uh, people that, people that you trust who are these creative personas that you follow. Um, and that's really powerful and that leads to really high conversion rates. Amazon is trying to do that as well. They have live streams now on Amazon. They have a creator program, um, but they obviously don't have the content reach that TikTok has. So I think that, that social commerce shopping is a great use case for both trying to tackle, but this isn't going to, going to displace, you know, the, the general Amazon use case of, you know, I need socks or, or whatever yeah. it is. I think that's a really important clarification and a good call out because uh, I think that's probably something that most of us here in, in America just aren't used to. We aren't used to that social commerce, like you said. Yeah. Um, I think what'll be interesting is how quickly these American social media companies will try to catch up just like they ha- they've been playing catch up this entire time. So it'll be interesting to see if they successfully pull off social commerce. Is this something that uh, will continue to to uh, take hold here in, in our culture? Uh, sure. and Nick, uh, Nick had a good comment here. Just saying right on, I think it's going to take a lot of uh, be a lot like QVC, tons of live demos for product sales. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't, the, something, something about that just doesn't yeah. seem super appealing to me, but you know, I feel like Asia is a, a good indicator of where things are going. It seems like stuff starts over there and then comes in waves over here. So we'll see. For sure. Um, and even if it's not a live stream, like imagine your, your generic branded posts that you see today. But there'd literally be two buttons right there in the app and you can buy it. Yeah. And the fulfillment would come from them, you know, it'd have a thank you right. card from the creator or something in it. Like that's yeah. just super interesting in a way to monetize that sure. you don't really have right now. Let's move on to this other one, uh, other TikTok story. And that is their, yeah, they're experimenting with introducing music streaming. And this is the one that makes a ton of sense to me for, mm-hmm. for TikTok because they already have nailed kind of the distribution of it. You know, getting like people discover new music all the time on TikTok just because videos are made to music and like, oh, what is the song? And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. What I think is super interesting is that I think music is already 
really lacking the social aspect of it of like they were saying i saw in the article that uh you could share playlists and comment on playlists and both you know yeah introducing more of a social aspect to it so tiktok has not only nailed the distribution they've nailed a really sticky platform that people love interacting with now uh making a way for music to be shared on there makes a ton of sense to me what do you think yeah Totally agreed. This is one of the things that YouTube tries to highlight as a differentiating factor for them over TikTok. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they won't call out TikTok directly, but they say other social media platforms are great for discovering music. And that's all you're going to do is discover a 30 second clip and that's it. But on YouTube, you can discover the music and then watch the music video and then go to the artist page and learn more about the artist. Um, with features like this, you'll be able to do that all within TikTok as well. And TikTok is a hell of a lot better at discovery than a platform mm-hmm. like YouTube. So just that the full stack experience they're working on in, in every direction. Yeah, man. It's like we've just been bombarded with TikTok news this week. I think yeah. so kind of both of these stories back to back this week. I mean, like I said, uh, TikTok's execution is very impressive. However, I'm going to remain a critic of TikTok. I think this is scary. If you can, if you let uh, a Chinese owned company come into America and dominate e-commerce and dominate really content consumption across short, short form video. They're now getting the long form video. They're also getting into music now. Like that is just so much data and so much influence that they can have over the people that use this platform here in America. This was a company we thought about banning a few years ago, and it, it kind of got lost during an admi- administration switch, I feel like. So to me, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going I'm to continue to be a critic of it. It, it. it worries me a little bit still. Yeah, and we've talked about those concerns before. I do think it's important to note um, that TikTok is working with the Biden administration on some mm-hmm. type of, of plan or deal that's going to involve some type of ownership um, specific, some type of data specifics. And yeah, that the TikTok is saying that that's going to come out soon and be announced and, you know, be immediately enacted. Um, so the goal there is to, to placate those concerns. Um, but, you know, who knows? There's still partial ownership. I mean, the, the Chinese yeah. government, the government owns like a percentage of ByteDance. Uh, yeah, directly. I just, so, um, I just don't like the thought of non-American companies dominating major industries in America, especially China, who it's like, okay, yeah, maybe that agreement goes through and it's all, it's all roses for now. But what if, what if they invade Taiwan and then America has to intervene in some way? And now one yeah. of the most popular platforms in America is Part, at least partially owned by the Chinese government. That just seems like a recipe for disaster to me and a recipe yeah. for like mass influence in our culture. And I just think that we should be aware of it. So I'm going to continue to be outspoken about it, be a little bit of a critic about it, but I'm also going to give credit where credit's due. They're, they're kind of crushing it in terms of execution and um, you know implementing their strategy. So yeah, anything want, else to add there? I want to ask you a question about that. Totally understand the the, the Chinese ownership concern. And again, obviously we've, we've covered that um, pretty at length here. But you're right. They, I mean, they are, TikTok is crushing it in content and these new business lines, like they are dominating culture right now. Does that concern you regardless of the ownership? Does it concern you that one company takes so much time for people and dominates culture in such a way? Um, yes, I think that's kind of the culture we're in right now. I mean, we saw it first with like Facebook and then uh, I feel like, you know, we kind of, we kind of got a little bit more of a split with Instagram and, and Twitter. Um, this feels different. It feels like TikTok has come really quick and it's, it's just getting deeper rooted in, in our culture. I feel like that's just kind of the natural progression of it though. Like we tend to, 
wherever the most people are spending their time, that's where everyone else kind of gravitates to because it's like this common shared place that that we can come and consume content. And then that gives us more things to to share in common. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't, it doesn't worry me as much as, you know, uh, it being Chinese owned, but I mean, it, it's not ideal. I'll put it that way. Like I, I would rather there be more competition in the market rather than one company owning so many different segments of, of, of a content consumption, let's say. Yeah. They're, they're eating Meta's lunch while they are, while, while Mark Zuckerberg adds legs to his avatar. <laughs> Let's move on to this next story. Yeah. Yeah. We got Netflix turning into a cable company. They're introducing an ad tier. And I just want to, I just want to call something out that is probably the funniest part of this. So they've got, it's like a basic tier. They're introducing ads that I think it's going to be like, you'll get four to five minutes of ads per hour or something like that. Uh, it's going to cost $7 per month, but the worst part of this entire plan. So you're paying, you're paying like what originally was just a normal Netflix subscription. Now you're going to have ads, but the worst part of it is you can't download anything on your device and you can't it, it's capped at 720p yeah like it, that is that that's kind of the most ridiculous part of it it's like we're not even going to give you 1080 we're not giving you HD. yeah 1080 You're, is like basic <laughs> yeah we're capping you at 720 we're capping you at a flip phone yeah uh, resolution <laughs> which is just ridiculous but yeah i think the the overall story here is that netflix has become a cable company almost like this is what streaming wars have now come to yeah, that's interesting framing. Uh, I don't love the the execution of this bundle. You know, the fact that you can't download the fact that it's 720. Um, four to five minutes of ads seems decent. That's still better yeah, that's reasonable. Than, than what cable would have been. I mean, what is that now? Like 25 minutes of ads per hour uh, on, a, on a cable channel that's doing office reruns. Um, <laughs> like... It's, I don't know, the execution could be better, but the, the business sense of an ad-supported tier makes sense. And I think it's interesting, you know, even with ads, um, you're paying $7 a month. Is Disney going to do something similar? Actually, they announced, like, they are. Actually, they did. Good Lord. Uh, it's going to be like six bucks or something. Uh, but so in the future, you could have, you could be paying $50 a month plus ads easily, which is just cable. $50. Uh, Not me. Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, my parents pay for most of these. Except uh, Hulu. I get Hulu through Spotify. So yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, the user experience now is cable, but you have to click into different tiles on your smart TV, which doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. Um, so there'll they'll be some innovation in the user experience here because it's just, it's a weird spot. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think this just opens up the door for them to increase the amount of ads that they're showing because they've already had a slump in in user growth. That was kind of what this was all in response to. Uh, the stock prices just plunged here recently. So, I mean, what's going to stop them from it's like, oh, we'll start with just, you know, five to seven minutes of ads per hour. But, oh, well, now we need a little bit more ad revenue. So we're going to bump it up to 10 minutes an hour. And then, you know, yeah, it just it becomes too much like cable TV, in, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, I don't think that story is worth spending a ton of time on. Let's move on mm-hmm. to more of a regional story here. So Kroger, company-based, headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, is in talks for a merger with Albertsons, uh, which is a, it's a pretty big deal. These are two massive companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to give us the overview on this, Nate, You're, since, uh, since you threw this one in there? Yeah, so, so Kroger, based in Cincinnati, um, it has how many? Uh, we don't have a list in here. It has a certain number of banners is what they're called in the grocery space, which is just like different, you know, brands of the grocery. Um, the one here in the, in Chicago is Mariano's. They have um, 25 banners. 25, 25 banners. 25 banners Kroger had. Yeah. Albertsons has a bunch. 
Um, 22. Both, 22. Both pretty national companies. Um, they, you know, operate nationally um, with all these different banners. Because the, gro the grocery space is interesting. All of these banners used to be independent companies that then kind of got consolidated into these corporations, um, you know, just for operational efficiency. So now this is like two of these competing corporations that have consolidated coming together. I think that's the natural progression of this industry. Um, they have to compete with Amazon. They have to yeah, compete that was with what was in Instacart. Um, yeah. And so that you need economies of scale to build out your technology to make better customer experiences or else you're just going to get taken over. Yeah. Uh, the, the reason I wanted to highlight this story is mostly just because it's a regional story and call out how big of a merger this would be. So Kroger has uh, 2,800 stores in 35 states, 420,000 employees, and its market cap uh, sits around $32 billion, whereas Albertsons, their market cap's around $15 billion. Uh, they've got uh, around 2,200 stores in 34 states and 290,000 employees. So this is just a massive merger that uh, yeah. maybe you don't care too much about big grocery, but you know uh, when something like this goes down in a place like Cincinnati, Ohio, that is uh, a region that we kind of cover with Middle Tech, we definitely want to highlight it. So just a massive, massive uh, acquisition or merger rather uh, coming down the pipeline that should be announced this morning is what I saw. And yeah. we'll see if anything additional comes out yeah. about it. I think you start to see traditional grocery stores acting more like an Amazon with different ways yeah. to or different ways to fulfill. Yeah. Um, and they'll, they'll still have their roots, but I think they become way more tech focused. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's move on to this last story that I think is, is interesting. I heard some good talk about this on the all in podcast. Do you listen to, to all? Yeah. Oh yeah. Evan, Evan's finally broken me down and I, I started listening to it and it's, it's actually pretty great. Mm -hmm. Um, they, so the reason I want to talk about this is they were talking about kind of the role of the human in society and like where it's going yeah. and alongside that, all of these new AI models that are being introduced. So we've heard a lot about Dolly, uh, where, you know, the, this, uh, AI model can now generate images that are net new images, which if you haven't played with it yet, I think it's now open to the public, go create an account and just like let your imagination run free on there. It's insane. Uh, we're now seeing companies like Microsoft get into that. And then one of the latest is Meta. And Meta has upped the ante a little bit. They've now made an AI generation model that you, you enter a text prompt and it can create a short video for you. So yeah. I just think it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I just think we're seeing so much news about this all of a sudden. Like this seems like it started happening really fast. Like it's all compounding really fast. And kind of the conversation I want to have with you about this, Nate, is that as they were talking on this all in podcast, they're like, what is the role of the human going to turn into? Like mm -hmm. in the early days, it was a laborer. Like we had to do physical labor to make things happen. Then we had computers, we turned into creators. Like we're all, we're mostly knowledge workers that create on computers, make things happen. Now with these AI generation models, they're arguing that we're going to become more of like, uh, like narrators, like, okay, you, you want, you want a house built rather than having to either go physically build that house or like work with software to design that house. You just narrate what your house needs to look like. And this software can take, you know, can take care of the rest. Yeah. Um, so I just think that's a really interesting narrative and a really interesting thought experiment to think about, like, what does this, what do these AI models allow humans to become ultimately? I don't know. What do you think of this, Nate? How, how do you view all of these, all these advancements in AI models? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it and kind of blew my mind when I heard it on the podcast. Um, it's, it's a really philosophical thing to, to think about. Um, and I want to think about it in an optimistic way of, Easy. oh, we become narrators. I can explain the house I want and yeah. there's, my, there's my house and I can live a happy life and I can explain 
something else, which gets me money. And I live my recreation time all the time because I just mm-hmm. have to talk like that. I want to think about it that way. But then I think about, I look back to like claims that people made when computers became widespread. Mm-hmm. And when we became more so, you know, knowledge workers that were much more technology enabled, everybody said, it's so quick to do things with computers. You're going to get all the stuff done so quickly. Your recreation time is going to skyrocket. All of our standards of life are going to skyrocket. That's true to some extent, but also as productivity went up, companies expected more, you know, people expected more and like people were working just as much, but now enabled by tech to do more. And like, does that just happen exponentially? Yeah, we can narrate things. We're going to have to be narrating things all day, every day, because so much is expected. Um, and I get, there's not really a solid example of that I can point to right now, but it's just like, I don't know. It's scary in a way, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like AI does feel different and they, they kind of dive into this in the podcast as well, because data collection is becoming so easy. Sensors are becoming so cheap. Data storage is becoming so cheap. Like that's kind of the threshold we've crossed where now we have access to these massive, massive amounts of data. And that's really what empowers artificial intelligence to be built in really scalable and impressive ways. So I I agree with Brandon's comment down here. He says, I think humans will always kind of be the ones in control. Uh, Yeah, I don't ever want to start entertaining the idea of a dystopian future in which like AI is is equal to to humans. But I do think that we're on a pretty wild curve right now where we're seeing a ton of news come out about it. We're seeing a ton of progress happen about it. It's compounding. Uh, Like Nick just said here, it's a creativity multiplier. Uh, I think yeah, the next, I like that a lot coming a lot. Yeah, I think the next few years is going to be really exciting as we see this. And I just think that as you, as as you, the viewer, as you, the listener, uh, see these stories come out, think of them in the right context, and just think think longer term about where could this take us? Because I think it's just going to be a really exciting next few years with it. It's funny we've made jokes uh, with the podcast. We use a an editing tool where we can use AI to like recreate our voices if we say something wrong. Scary. Yeah, like we can just type a podcast. We don't even have to record it. I've been meaning to do that. I've been meaning to do that. I wanna, I wanna prove like how wild it is. So I wanna use GPT three, and I just wanna type in like, create an article about uh, the dangers of artificial intelligence, and then I wanna put that into the script and have it yeah. like read it in my voice and see how many people are like, all right, this is freaking wild. 